Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is the president of Mission USA, Glenn Fitzgerald. Freedom Eagle America. That was the Tuscaloosa Evening Gazette's answers to every single crossword puzzle right there that Glenn just gave us, but also an introduction. And we're also joined, of course, by Jed Brewer. Freedom Eagle America. Well, now it sounds like a trigger phrase. <laughs> Some kind of Soviet, <laughs> the last Soviet sleeper cell. We are not joined yeah. by a regular co-host, Lee Younger, who is exercising his freedom to not appear on the podcast this week. A freedom that is in the Constitution if you look hard enough, which is strange. So we have got a lovely show lined up for you. We, even though we don't have Leo's, we got some great questions. But first, because we're recording on July 4th, we have some incredibly American emergencies. <laughs> oh, it's an emergency? It certainly is. Too. There, there couldn't be anything like emergency going wrong with America, could there? Not possible. It would be a first. <laughs> so we've got a couple of different levels and types of America emergency here. Uh, the first one is found at the URL GodBlessTheUSABible.com. Oh, this has already gone horribly wrong. Yeah. And you think about how wrong it's gone. And you think, oh, that sounds like somebody made a Bible based on the... Uh, Campy, depending on who you ask, a uh, Lee Greenwood song. And yes, you'd be right. Lee Greenwood has, as it turns out. <laughs> oh, Lord. Introducing the limited edition God Bless the USA Bible, inspired by Lee Greenwood's hit song and the most recognized patriotic anthem in America, God Bless the USA. Yeah. Well, I, first question, does Lee Greenwood get an author credit on this? Because it feels like that's getting into troublesome territory just immediately. That's a good point. A co-author credit, maybe. Okay. 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 Matt has uh, sent me the, the link to this, and I, I have many, 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 many concerns. Okay. But the first one, you know, Lee Greenwood is, you know, he's a country music singer. Um, I'm sure all the young people out there are really excited that he's, he's associated with the Bible. But here's what I'm saying. You got a picture of Lee Greenwood, like right at the, you go to the website, boom, here's his picture. He's got him a nice uh, button down blue shirt, but here's the problem with his button down shirt is we're not really buttoned all together. Okay. Uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of chest here in the way that. Glenn, are you saying that Lee Greenwood has failed to commit to the open shirt lifestyle? I mean, well, what I hear you describing is we've got a bit of a branding issue here. So on the one hand, we have an admittedly catchy, perhaps a little bit schmaltzy, but an admittedly catchy country song, a, a patriotic anthem that was of its time and place. We have the uh, immutable, uh, inerrant word of the Lord. And the question is, how do we bring those two things together? How do we how do we go from you know two separate you know things that are delightful to two great tastes that taste great together? And I think the answer to that can only be through the power of internet marketing. 
that's how oh. we're going to join these two things together. Well, I think that's a fine idea, Jed. I think in conjunction with that, how you join these two things together is found in a phrase in that internet marketing in the oh. copy on the website and see if you can find a couple of things wrong with this. This Bible also features a copy of. <laughs> That's, yeah, that that just where you've lost me right there. I'm afraid. Now we're oh yeah that's 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 problematic in and of itself. And then there's the list, handwritten chorus to God bless the USA by Lee Greenwood. Okay. Yeah. And unless yeah. he hand wrote it in every copy, I'm gonna call false advertising on that. Yeah, it's it's more of a photocopy of a handwritten chorus. Exactly. Um, the U.S. Constitution. Again, well, it doesn't say a copy of or the text of, so I'm going to need that to be parchment. Right. <laughs> along with the Bill of Rights, the Declaration uh, of Independence, no. and the Pledge yeah. of Allegiance. Right. <laughs> Just, right. But you're pledging allegiance to God. Is that what the Bible would be encouraging you to do? Well, if you go to one of those weird southern churches where you pledge allegiance to the Christian flag, I guess it would. A real thing that I recently found out happens in people's childhoods. <laughs> but the thing I love about that is, and Glenn will join me in this as a history nerd, is so you've got uh, the U.S. Constitution, Bill of Rights, Declaration of Independence, uh, you know, think of them what you will. They are definitionally founding documents. They're all from, you know, the right. same ear of the thing. And then you just throw the Pledge of Allegiance on there, which basically got made up in the 50s because we were scared yeah. of the rescues. right. And uh, that's um, that's problematic on a number of levels. And Matt, you're absolutely right. You know, there's a lot of problems here. But you know what I say? I, I don't hear a disaster. I hear a disaster tunity. I say, oh. let's lean into it. Y'all, y'all know that I enjoy the electronic music. And, you know, the electronic music is about a mashup. It's about bringing two things together and making something new. So rather than simply having a Bible, uh, we all have a Bible, and a copy of some historical documents, let's mix it up. I'm talking about... We use an AI algorithm to just fully meld phrases from the Bible and phrases from founding documents and, you know, later on, not terribly important, other governmental stuff, and just, you know, put it together and see what happens, you know? So, uh, you know, uh, Jesus was on the boat, and the boat gets caught in a storm, and the disciples go to him and say, you know, Lord, why are you sleeping? And he said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Now that, we're starting to get funky. Are we heretical? Yes, but we were already there. Why not lean into it and create something artistic and new? Wow. Okay, I like this. I like this. There's something here. So, for example, in Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, you must bring me the foreskin of 100 savages if you want to marry my daughter. (laughs) This is what I'm talking about. Now we're bringing history to life. Is it in a way that's irresponsible and a hodgepodge and teaches us nothing? Yes, technically, but it's lively, and that counts for something. Most importantly, it moves units. Is it any more blasphemous than what they're doing is the real question, and the answer is not really. Nope. But also on the website for this uh, Bible that uh, really is coloring all the way outside of the lines here is it's a perfect gift for the following people. And it lists, you know, like, who is this for? Well, it's the family is first. I assume that means any of mafia members you might happen to know. Yeah, you know. Second is homeschooling households, and we already knew that. There's a market. Is you you got your grandparents your graduation that's what you want for your graduation gift military whatever that means 
Didn't specify uh, whose military. If you know any Hessians. Right. New American citizens, like you know any, if you're into this Bible. Now, I will stand up for that one, Glenn, because I think there's something fair to saying, welcome to America. It's pretty much like this, which <laughs> well, would be somewhat useful. It would be thematically uh, accurate in, in many ways. Um, but I think the the one on this list that I can't really get behind is it's a perfect gift for teens. Teens. Teens love Lee Greenwood. Yeah, I you know, uh, and and I'll, I'll, there are several other things on this list, all of which are pretty aggressive. But I I think that the top of that list really ought to be the brides part. The brides? That is one yeah. of the people listed right below faith and values advocates, which I like the detail that faith and values are in quotation marks, right. indicating that could be a sarcastic comment. Uh, right. U.S. history buffs, which we already pointed out, and please don't do that. And yeah, brides. Let me tell you what, you give this as a wedding gift, I really think somebody's going to really rethink their relationship with you. Well, Glenn, to that point, if you go a couple more notches down that list, you get anniversary. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let me tell you what, if you care about your wife, do not get the lean Greenwood uh, heretical extra stuff added to it Bible. That's, you know, take her to a nice dinner or something, flowers, but not this. Well, as we close our, dis out our discussion of the God Bless the USA Bible, I think we, we can look to the policies on returns and refunds. <laughs> mm. They are. In the event that of product is in the event of product, so we got some copywriting going on here. In the event of product is damaged during delivery, we will gladly replace your Bible for a new one. One hundred percent satisfaction guaranteed. All sales are final. <laughs> Which is a real one-two. But again, there's something incredibly American about that. Oh, you'll be satisfied. <laughs> and there's something incredibly American about that. There's also something incredibly American about emergency number two. And the Lee Greenwood Bible has been around for a while. We're just now getting somebody pointed out to us. But this one comes from uh, just yesterday as we record, Saturday, July 3rd, 2021. I'm going to read you guys a headline, and we're going to play the world's easiest guessing game of where did this happen. The headline from ABC7 reads, Gator finds its way to Lehigh Acres Church. Pastor invites it inside. Yeah, that's, uh, that's got to be Florida. Yes, you get pretty much no points. If, if Jeopardy had a $0 category, you would have gotten that for guessing in Florida there. And uh, the story is even stupider than it sounds. Gator tried cleansing its sins on Tuesday. The, mm. uh, the local news writer was having a lot of fun with this one. By going right yep. up to a Lehigh Acres church. The encounter was captured on camera, including the pastor of Victory Church getting up close and personal with the Gator including offering him his business card. We have, tr we have services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Sunday morning, said Gregory in a video where he is seen handing a business card to the Gator. Uh, the, no. <laughs> no. Yes, Glenn, that was pretty much the Florida uh, Wildlife Conservation Commission's response. They literally said, we certainly encourage the viewing aspect of it, but we never want you to approach a wild animal like that. It can be very dangerous. <laughs> Yeah. 
And again, in another great moment of journalism, the pastor admits it wasn't his best idea. Yeah, that, I think that's the point in the article where it really, really got me. Not his best idea might suggest that there were definitely a lot of worse ideas. <laughs> this just wouldn't, qual- this is somewhere in the middle. You know, this is like the worst. These are, this is like a mid-tier idea for this pastor. <laughs> I want to see the article on what were the worst ones. <laughs> well, let, let me put this back to you, Glenn, as someone who's worked with a lot of pastors and a lot of churches. Is this even the worst church outreach strategy you've heard? No. Offering a business card to a gator. No. I'm really sad to say, no, it is not. Also, not the one we've heard that would have that might have resulted in the most bodily injury. Well, here's yeah. what I'd like to put out there in terms of potentially worse ideas is because I, I am from Florida, I can assure you that gator wrestling is a real thing that people do. And here's what I'm saying is, was one of his worst ideas, he's preaching a sermon series on wrestling with sin. And to illustrate it, he's going to have a live gator wrestling match at the pulpit in the mm. middle of Sunday service. Because... Mm. Well, noteworthy, that would be a dramatically worse idea. Based on this story, I think he's considered it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, the, there's also this line, the gator scurried back into the storm drain after the pastor tried to baptize him. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I think when even your very, you know, lower level uh, amphibians just don't like the shtick that you're putting out there. That's a pretty strong statement that things have gone horribly wrong. Yeah. Well, to Jed's point about the sermon series, I just picture either, I don't know about this church is either the staff meeting or the elder board meeting or whatever. He's trying to get the budget approval and he's got a little name tag on that says Jacob. And he says, hear me out. We get a white one, and that represents the other side, and just a little bit of wrestling happens. Yes. And, you know, it's certainly been tried, and, uh, yeah, don't, don't do this. Don't do any part of this. We want you to invite people to your church. We want you to do outreach. When people visit your church, we want you to, to give them some attention and focus, but please, uh, let's, let's start with humans. Once we get all the humans invited to church, we can spread out to other life forms. Just one little quick thing on this. Am I, am I wrong that I sort of wish that the, that the gator might have taken like a chunk out of him? Not like any place vital, but just like, you know, the back of the leg somewhere. Had taken a chunk out, and then th- that is videotaped, and then the, the, the pastor turns to the camera and says, you know what, I, I feel like the church has come to a certain place where we, we need to just have more substance. You know what I mean? Where he just has a wake-up call based on that experience. You're, you're suggesting some we set gators loose in some churches for some kind of scared yep. straight program. That's exactly what I... Look, many times we have advocated wild animals in church but never have I had more confidence that would make this kind of an impact. Well, Uncle Glenn's Gator Wrangling and Church Consultancy Service is open for business 
<laughs> and on that, we will declare emergency off. Yes, yes. So uh, there's all of that. And then on what we like to think of as the other side of Christianity in America, there's things like Bridgebox. So you get a, an email to your inbox the first of every month with some encouraging songs, sermons, Bible studies, the like. Uh, all the money that goes to Bridgebox goes to support our deacons program and some great work going on up here in Chicago. So you can sign up for that at missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. You can also join us every single Sunday. That's right, our Bridgecast has moved nights because we are back in person every Tuesday in Chicago at the Bridge. But if you can't be in Chicago on Tuesday nights to join us, you can catch some sermons, some worship, and a whole lot of other fun stuff every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central on our Bridgecast. And if you can't catch it when it first shows live there, you can catch it whenever you want. The videos tab over at facebook.com slash thebridgechicago. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you hang with us all the way to the end, I'll use some ways to get in touch with this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says, I recently read about father wounds, and I relate heavily to that. I don't have the kind of family interactions with my father, but I want to learn to let go of the pain and ask God for his strength to overlook the past. How should I approach this within human boundaries? And a, a great question, a lot going on. We're glad you wrote in. And Glenn, where would we start it off? Well, it's a, it is a good question. We're, we're glad that you have the courage to be vulnerable and ask uh, tough questions like this. I, I think the thing about, um, in, in this case, having an, an earthly father, you know, uh, you know your, your biological father, and having things not doing what they're supposed to do there. There's a, there's a, uh, we, we don't know from the question whether this is, uh, an abuse type of thing or a neglect kind of thing, or just dysfunctionality in some sort of way. We, we know that there's some pain associated with that from what you're telling us. So we know that there's, there's a lot of negative stuff that we need to look at. We need a process. We, we need to decide what do we think about this? But I think, and we need to do 100% of that. Uh, that's to be very clear. We don't need to cheat that process or rush through that process. You know, going to counseling and dealing with that is very important, but I actually want to add to that uh, on top of working through these negatives. I think it's important to go beyond that. If we're looking for, for the real healing here is to look at the positive things that weren't there what things should have been present, things that should have been part of your upbringing that were not there in the way that they should have been. I think that's important for a number of reasons. First of all, it's, it will give you much more, I think, a sense of the scope of, of the right and wrong of what it is that you've been through. But I think it's also about taking a look at the fact that we tend to take the negatives that we've been through in life and take that as normative. It's, you know, it's the only upbringing we ever had. So we just assume this is basically what everyone else's upbringing was like. So what happens then is we have a, a tendency to repeat those negatives and, and we end up treating other people in the way that we were, were treated by our earthly fathers so those negatives have a way of, you know, going from generation to generation, and we become part of that cycle. 
But if I know the positive things that are meant to be done by a healthy parent and what healthy parenting is, what it looks like, then I can have a template for the way that I need to be. I could say, well, you know, I wasn't raised with this and I don't know exactly how it works, but I know I'm supposed to be sympathetic here, or I know I'm supposed to be encouraging here, or I I know that I'm supposed to just listen in this kind of place. Knowing the right things that we're missing can really give you a template for the positive changes that you want to make in your own life and moving beyond that. Last idea on this, and I think this is really what's critical. You know, when you're talking about dysfunctionality in in parenting, that can manifest itself in a million different ways, but it really boils down to this idea of trust. So when we look at our relationship with God, that's where we struggle with trusting God. But here's the one lie. I'm really just going to boil all this complicated stuff down to one lie. This is the lie that the devil is telling you. He's telling you because you couldn't trust your parent, you can't trust anyone, especially God. Because you couldn't trust a parent, you can't trust anyone. When I say that out loud, it makes no sense. But if you ask people why they struggle with trust, why they struggle with being open and vulnerable in relationships, they say, well, it was my upbringing. I just... I." You know, I just could not trust my parents to be there for me. You say, well, yeah, but that this isn't a relationship with your parents. It's a whole different person, whole different situation or circumstance. But it's because that devil tells them that lie. You can't trust anyone. But the reality is you just can't trust these dysfunctional people. That's all. It really is about pulling up and recognizing that the devil somehow generalizes that in a way that really has us repeating our damage and our trauma and our our suffering over and over again. And breaking free of that cycle is, is really the key thing we want for you. That's a great place to start that off. Jed, I'd love to use you to uh, pick us up with a specific out of this question, because I think uh, I totally understand what our question asker is saying here, but there's something in uh, maybe the path they are charting out, which I think we want to um, redirect from pretty early on. And that's the idea of, I want to ask God for strength to overlook the past. Um, Overlooking past things can be very healthy. It can be a good idea if it's at the end of a process of dealing with it. But jumping to overlooking can cause a lot of its own problems, right? There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. I, I think one of the things that is a temptation for all of us is to want to jump to the absolute end, the final step of a process and just do that. You know, you, you bake a cake, um, you want to put icing on cause that's super fun, but that's the end of the process. There's a lot of stuff that has to happen in the cake baking and creation, um, journey before we're ready to, to put some icing on. And so it is here. You said in your question, which is, uh, we really appreciate we're, we're grateful for your question and your honesty, your vulnerability. You said that you want to learn to let go of the pain. And you said that you want uh, to overlook the past. And I think that, you know, with some, some conditions on it, those are great goals, but those are also the end of a long process, just like Matt was pointing out. So letting go of the pain often begins with acknowledging the pain. And similarly, overlooking the past often begins with admitting the past. Um, 
we may find it very difficult to get to a place of, of letting go and overlooking if we're not first acknowledging and admitting. And that seems, I, I think that we're reluctant to do that for a bunch of reasons. Um, I think the first is some part of a sense is that this was really bad and that if we dig into it, we might find that it's even worse than we suspected. And we're already having a hard time making peace with our past. We're already having a hard time not feeling resentful towards our parents. And if we were to discover, if we were to dig in and then discover that it's way worse than we thought it was, well, maybe that would lead us to a place where like our brain would just melt from the awfulness of it. And wouldn't it be better to say, eh, I'm pretty sure it wasn't great. And then, you know, try and move on from there. But here's the thing that I want you to know is you can handle the actual truth of what you've been through. You can handle the actual reality of what you've been through. Looking at it full in the face will not kill you. You can handle the actual truth. And the good news is that the truth will set you free. Um, it really will. Uh, getting to a point where we can see what has occurred in, in its totality really will lead us to a place of freedom. But I want to suggest to you two quick points on that for you to think about. The first is that you need a safe and appropriate place to do that work. Um, that could be a counselor. That could be a therapist, a psychologist. In some situations where, where the people involved have specific training, that could be a pastor of a local church. But you need a place where someone is, is qualified, but you also need a place where someone is not going to be judging you and is not going to be trying to urge you to a specific end. In other words, a lot of folks who come from a Christian background, they may want you to forgive. And so let's just get to forgive as quickly as possible. And we want you to forgive too, but we want you to take your time in getting there. We, we want you to, to work through what you've been through and be able to talk it out and think it through in a place where you don't have to rush to the end. So we want you to find a safe, appropriate place to, to do this work. If you're not sure what that would look like for you, please reach out to us. We would love to help you find um, a person in your area who can assist you in that. Uh, money does not have to be a concern. We'd love to find a place for you that's sliding scale um, that, can, that you can afford. But as you do that work, here's the interesting thing is I think you are going to you're going to uncover some mitigating factors about what you've been through. I think you're going to grow to understand what your parents were on, what was driving them, what their deal was uh, in ways that maybe you don't currently understand. And it's not that those realizations will excuse what they did or didn't do. It's not that those realizations will excuse the past or erase it, but those realizations are useful to know and they're useful to have. Um, they, they provide a shading and subtlety and nuance and things that are, that are good, that are good to understand both in terms of, understanding the past and understanding your tendencies in the future. This is good stuff, but all of that depends on beginning by admitting what we have been through, not sugarcoating it, not trying to glide over it, but admitting the totality of what we've been through. And I know that you have the courage and the patience to do that and to work through that process. All wonderful stuff from these guys. Uh, one thing I would tack on the end of this, and it ties in exactly what Jed is saying about a, a perception and a way we want to maybe think about forgiveness, particularly in a Christian context and particularly in a family context and the realities of a healthy way of working through things. And we, I think we all want to think that any forgiveness ends in reconciliation. And that is just not 
true and does not have to be true. You do not have to be fully reconciled to someone. It does not have to be a warm hug of an ending in order for forgiveness to be, to have happened in order for the past to be left in the past. That's why boundaries are a good thing and a healthy thing. We've often said on the show that the goal of a healthy relationship is not to get to a point where you don't need any boundaries because that would be an unhealthy relationship. Um, Sometimes uh, just keeping someone at arm's length is the best thing out. Sometimes someone passes away. Sometimes, as Glenn was saying, the, the real victory in a situation is acknowledging and working through your things and being uh, absolutely certain you're not going to carry those over into your other relationships or if you become a parent or something like that. Um, when we have the, these deep wounds from anyone, and if you want to hear more about wounds, you can check out our, our previous episode where our friends uh, Bim and Jenny uh, do some great talking about the general healing of wounds, particularly in these interrelational ones, and particularly in ones where there's a close family member or a parent. I think you know, we all want the Hollywood ending. We all want the big hug and the tears. And uh, we we certainly hope you get that. But if you don't get that, it doesn't mean that the process went wrong. It doesn't mean you did anything wrong. It doesn't mean it's incomplete. It just means that sometimes life is messy. And that's going to be the best we can do. God is not afraid to work in that mess, and we shouldn't be afraid to step into that ourselves. All right, we're going to move on to our next question here. This came in and says, I feel like I spent a lot of time kind of feeling lost. I feel like I don't have a sense of what I'm doing. I guess my question is, I hear about this new me, but when do I think, when do you think it will actually arrive? And again, another great question, a lot of layers and Another kind of question we love where um, someone is looking at a Christian uh, concept, a Christian almost cliche of the new person, and you're not who you were, and that's all true, and we certainly believe that, but experiencing that, especially when you've never done before, can be really, really weird. So Jed, where would we start with this idea of the new me and starting to step into it? This is a great question. I'm really glad that she wrote in. And I think that the, the real answer here in a lot of ways has to do with y- your expectations that if there's anything that, that might be the only problem is kind of, you know, what you're expecting to see happen. So here's the thing is I think that the new you is arriving every single day, but it's arriving bit by bit. And I think that in a lot of other arenas of your life, you would get that, you know, if you decided that you wanted to learn to you know, play the violin, you're going to practice a little bit every day. You would not expect a journey where you're terrible and you're terrible and you're terrible and you're terrible. And then one day you wake up and you're at Sock Perlman. You know that that's not how that works. You, you get, you know, marginally, fractionally a little bit better every day. And, and over a long period of time, it, it builds up. But when we look at spiritual stuff in the spiritual life, we have a way of spending the things that we kind of know are true everywhere else. And you know, a lot of Christian media, if we want to be, you know, fair to you, which we should be, um, a lot of Christian media is built on the idea of just you're transformed. You know, you're one way and then, you know, you just, something happens and you're instantly different. But I think for most people, most of the time, that's really not how this stuff works. I think that the the new you is arriving every single day, little bit by little bit. I'm not talking about your salvation. You know, you, you ask Jesus to save you, you are saved, period, the end. But in terms of, of growing into the new you, that's, that's a process, man. And here's the thing is, not just in your spiritual life, but in all kinds of things, 
Finding your way takes time. No one finds their way instantly. Nobody just, you know, wakes up and knows what to do in all areas of their life or even one area of their life. Finding your way takes time and that's okay. You don't need to be looking down on yourself. You don't need to be judging yourself. Instead, here's, here's what we do as best we're able. Start walking in the directions you are confident about. You don't need to have everything figured out. You don't need to have a master plan for everything. I think you probably have some guesses of the, the direction that the, the new you and the real you would go. So start walking in those directions. That might relate to your career. It might relate to your hobbies. It might relate to the people you spend time with, um, you know, ministry kind of stuff you want to get involved with. That's cool. Start doing the stuff that you're pretty sure would be a good idea and then take it from there. Work out the rest as you go. One of the things that I learned from Glenn a very long time ago, and it's very good wisdom, is that it is much easier to steer a ship in motion which is really, really true. Um, if you've ever been on a boat, man, it's real, real hard to, move a, to steer a boat that is not moving. But once that boat is in some kind of motion, it's a heck of a lot easier to steer it one direction or another. And so it is with our lives. You know, it's a temptation for every single one of us to want to have all the answers mapped out and all the questions answered, and then we will begin this journey. But that's not how life works. We, we start with our best guesses. We start asking the Lord to guide us and, and trusting that he will. We, we start with some hunches and some gut feelings and some um, uh, uh, well-intentioned guesses, and we go from there. And what I believe you'll find is that God is more than prepared to meet you in that journey one day at a time, where not only do you begin to discover the new you day by day, but where you begin to discover the Lord's guidance and leading for your life again day by day. So I want to encourage you to get in motion and let that be a gradual day-by-day journey. That's a fantastic place to start this off. And Glenn, I, I think exactly as Jed is pointing out there, um, we, our friend who's wrote the question certainly has a feeling of kind of being unmoored, which is totally understandable. But I think as they, they are doing, as we all often do, which is automatically assuming that a new feeling is a bad feeling, and this must indicate something wrong. But right. when we're talking about new things, feeling a little lost isn't always a warning sign, right? Well, not at all. I mean, you know, we we are we certainly we feel uh, sympathy with the fact that you feel lost and and that you want this new you to arrive. But if you feel lost, that's because you're in a new and unfamiliar place, which means you're not in the old you that you're trying to get away from. You're in a new and weird place. That's you. You you want to know when do you arrive at the new you? Well, it's. It's if you feel lost, you're you're on your way. <laughs> you know, the you knew exactly where you were when you were in your old life in your old ways. It felt very familiar. There was no disorientation. It was much more of a case of oh, this again. So if you're in a new place, it is disorienting. It is uh, a bit of a mild freakout. It is difficult to to deal with. It's an emotional challenge. And I don't mean to belittle that in any way, but the reality is if you're in an unfamiliar place, you are almost certainly moving forward uh, in, in you're getting where you're going. But, you know, you ask a question, when will this new me I hear about arrive? And I think part of what you're expressing is a thing that we all feel, which is, I don't have an interest in the process, exactly as Jed was pointing out. You know, 
it it takes time to become good at something. That's just reality. This is how our brains work. This is how life works. We resist that, and and we feel that something supernatural should supersede that, and it shouldn't be the grind that the rest of life should be uh, and, and insists on being all the time. If it's 10,000 hours to get good at something, God can just miracle me all the way to the end of that, and then I don't have to grind all that out. But I want to suggest to you, and, and, and again, this dovetails with what Jed's saying, is if we did miracle you to the end, I think that would be a deeper freakout than where you are now. I think your brain would probably break. You know, I think we tend to think if things, if circumstances are bad, I feel bad. If circumstances are good, I'll feel good. So I don't have to. Um, I don't have to adjust to suddenly I have strengths and abilities and that sort of thing. But the truth is, I think. Transformation is a process, and it is a slow process. And yes, that that is a challenge for sure. And it and and I don't like it. I believe me, you're going to be preaching all this back to me one day. But the reality is, the fact that it takes time gives us that ability to not feel completely lost. It gives us that ability to learn and explore and grow in a way that isn't in some sort of mad, desperate panic. Uh, I want for you that you would have spiritual growth in an environment where it is steady and methodical and it's thought out and it's explored and you get a sense of what you want to do here. Uh, I think beyond that, I think people have this tendency to think of Miracles as things that always happen all of a sudden. You know, we read about, you know, Jesus heals a blind man, and to us that's a miracle because he didn't see, and then all of a sudden he did see. Miracle. But if uh, I get an eye infection and I can't see anything, and then over a month the infection clears up and I can see things again, I don't call that a miracle. I just say... I, my body healed itself, and it took a really long time, and it really stank. And, and that does connect back to, to last week's episode of talking about healing from wounds, and this idea that it does take time, that, that it is a process. But we, I think we have a tendency to think that the length of time means it's not really happening, and that miracle power isn't a part of that process. And... And am I really changing if it's happening so slow I can time it with a calendar? Uh, but the reality is that true change, real, steady, reliable, long-term transformation happens one day at a time. And God is pleased to take his time with you. He is not in a hurry. He is not waiting for you to get to an end of this process before he approves of you and he loves you. So let's explore the idea of taking our time might be the better way of going about this and the steadier way of going about this. I think that's all wonderful stuff from these guys. On a couple of purely practical points, um, I don't know where you, you question asker are in your life, but 
if you're a fairly young person, you know, there's a lot of people who they come out of, they come out of high school, they go through college, they kind of feel lost. They may not know exactly what they want to do. They may not have exactly everything about their life nailed down. And that's entirely normal, but we're sometimes in these situations that make it feel like that is uh, something, a deficiency within us. And then you tack on uh, coming up on a year and a half of a pandemic where there's been a lot of uh, free-floating stuff and a lot of uncertainty. As these guys are, are first and foremost pointing out, one of the, the best places you can start is that uh, there's nothing wrong with you, that feeling a little a little lost, a little uh, astride is perfectly normal. It's perfectly human. That's a lot of people we come across in both the Old and New Testament. God is not afraid of working with that, and that does not mean that the, the new you is not here yet. So we move on to our final question here, and it actually kind of tracks with that thought a little bit. This person wrote in and said, I thought that when we came out of lockdown, I would just be so thrilled about everything. I'm glad to be able to do stuff like see friends and go to church, but I kind of feel blah about a lot of things I should really be excited about. What's the deal there? And again, another great question. This was a little more specific than maybe our first two today, but a lot of good stuff going on here. And Glenn, where would we start off? Well, I think we start off by managing expectations. And um, I think expecting that you would go through a lot of trauma and then as soon as the trauma is over, you'd feel great. Doesn't sound like a reasonable expectation to me. And here's the reason why is you can grit your teeth through all kinds of unbelievable negativity, much more so than you think you can. You can sort of hang on and endure a lot, but when that season is over with and you've endured it, there needs to be healing. There needs to be other things feeding in. There needs to be uh, things that we do to change that channel back to something more like normal life and more normal existence. So the reality is I, I think your sense that as soon as this is over with, I should feel great doesn't actually track with the emotional realities. Uh, so maybe your expectations are just a little too high and, uh, and you need to give yourself a break in that sense. So let's start here. Happiness is not a lack of sadness-inducing circumstances. In other words, if you if you put it, as we were talking about previously, if you t- put a bunch of negative circumstances in my life, that doesn't make me unhappy. And if you take those away, it doesn't make me happy. <laughs> you know, it's not the way that works. Happiness isn't just no bad things are happening to me today. Uh, that's just nothingness, and that's pretty close to what you feel now. So. Uh, if, if you say you feel blah and you feel kind of uh, numb to things and so forth, that really might be because you've you've gone through a really tough circumstance and now you're sort of at loose ends to figure out, okay, what do I do with people? I, I used to know this. Call people? Do I text? Do I send them a telegram? I can't remember. How did I talk to people? How did, how did, how did I have healthy interactions? And, and how did I know when it was time to go over and and see somebody and what have you. Uh, It sounds weird, but, you know, we can lose our sense of how to be social uh, if we don't work those muscles regularly. The reality is 
that if you look at your life and in times when you're enduring a lot of pain, what you end up doing is sort of turning off your brain to receiving that negative signal. It's just too much and I can't deal with it anymore. So there's a point where a defense mechanism sort of kicks in and you say, I am, I'm just tuning out the pain here. And in the short run, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Long-term, that can be really bad. But, but as a short-term defense mechanism, sometimes your brain just says, it's enough. You know, tune this out. Go into hunker-down mode. It'll be over, and then we'll recover. But the thing is that I, the thing I want to tell you about that is when you turn off the pain, you turn off the pleasure too. That's kind of how that works. When you numb yourself, to reality, you're numbing yourself to all of it, all the positives, all of the negatives, and you sort of you are in that hunker down mode. You're you're sort of bunkered in, and you're burying your head in the sand, and you're waiting for this thing to be over with. And when it's over with, you have to sort of turn all that equipment back on, so to speak, and we, you have to kind of press yourself to get back into social circumstances, press yourself to uh, find things that you enjoy and reinvest your life in those things and to come alive. But I want to really encourage you as you think in these more positive terms, rather than thinking about how do I get back to the way it was, as much as things may have been great before, let's really start to think in terms of this awful, awful circumstance gave us new muscles that we didn't have before. We've endured things we didn't think we could endure. Uh, we've, we've been through a lot of negative stuff that's had a negative impact on us, but we've also experienced some strength we didn't know we had. And that means the post-pandemic life can be different and better in certain circumstances. It can be uh, opening doors to things we didn't think we could do. Maybe you were afraid to try something before, and now it's like, man, I've been through all this. I don't have to be afraid of anything. I, if, if I could put up with a year of being locked down, I can figure out how to travel to this country I always wanted to go to or climb this mountain or whatever the thing is. So I think there is a better version of your life that is waiting for you on the other side of this circumstance but that's based on figuring out what this season has taught you, and it's based on uh, turning back on all of our senses and all of our feelings and getting back to uh, this idea of I don't need to be uh, you know, hunkered down and, and sheltered in, that I want to have a life that's assertively open and letting God uh, strengthen me through that process. That's a really fantastic place to start this off. And Joe, I'd love to get you to pick us up on another aspect here, which is exactly as, as Glenn is pointing to there. When you've had some muscles atrophy over time, just because things are fun or to be looked forward to, doesn't mean they're not exhausting in a way you may not be prepared for, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Life is full of activities that are fun and invigorating and exciting, but are also tiring, and if you haven't done them in a while, are also very intimidating. Um, a good example of this is riding a bike. I mean, riding a bike is a lot of fun. It's a cool thing. It's kind of a win on everything. It's good for you. It's good for the environment. You know, all this jazz. You've got the wind in your hair. It's great. 
But A, it's physically tiring. I mean, you have to move those pedals to propel yourself along. And uh, depending on, you know, where or how you're riding, it's also pretty intimidating. If you're riding where there are cars and you haven't done that in a while, it's really weird to be riding your bike and you got cars zipping past you. And the thing to note is that right now you are very used to not riding a bike. Continuing to not ride a bike takes no effort of any kind. It's the easiest thing in the world. Whereas riding a bike means dealing with both the exhaustion and the intimidation factor. And that uh, it's, it's certainly understandable that you would look at that and feel like, you know what, I don't, I don't, I'm not seeing the value proposition here. A, that's okay. It makes sense. B, most worthwhile things come with a cost. Most worthwhile things do. Uh, the more that we do them, the, the less we think about that cost, the more we get used to it and just doesn't, you know, really factor in. But most worthwhile things come with a cost and it is absolutely okay to acknowledge that. You know, I mean, like you're talking about going, you're seeing friends and you're going to church. Well, if nothing else, <clears throat> both of those require some scheduling. Dude, scheduling takes work. There's just no way around that. You know, going to church, uh, I mean, you do whatever you want to do, but for a lot of people, going to church means, I'm getting out of my sweatpants and I'm, you know, doing, you know, something other than if I was just staying at home, that's work, man. Um, it doesn't mean that it's not worth it. I think you seeing your friends is a great idea. I think you going to places where you feel loved and accepted is a great idea, but there is work that goes along with it. There is intimidation that goes along with it. And so I think acknowledging that that is the reality and then pacing yourself on that basis, you know, saying I, I can't have a you know, a month of my life that's only things that are exhausting and intimidating. That's not a good idea. It's not good for you. It's not good for anybody else. So I'm going to pace myself. I'm going to recognize that this, you know, takes some work on my part. That's good, man. That's good. Life is about balance. A good and a healthy life is about balance. And so recognizing there are things that I care about. I want to reintroduce into my life, whether that's riding a bike or hanging out with my friends, but I want to recognize that they do take something out of me and I'm going to be understanding about that. And I'm going to schedule and set my expectations accordingly. I think if we do that, I think we'll, we'll be to a place that feels more normal before we know it, but without needlessly stressing ourselves out. I think that's all fantastic stuff right there. And again, it's, it's a big topic and there's a lot going on here, but we've been talking a lot in this episode about giving yourself a break and the fact that you may be doing a lot better than you think you are. And I think that that extends to this as well, along with the, uh, the inertia that Jed is talking about there. If, you know, if you've gotten used to not putting on real pants or not riding a bike, you're going to, there's going to be part of you just universally that wants to stay there. There's another aspect to having lost momentum uh, for a year and a half on things. There, there are things you may have done, uh, things you may have been a part of where, you know, there were some positives and there were some negatives and yeah, it was a little exhausting to, to be part of, you know, the setup team or, or to, you know, be a part of this outreach thing, but gosh, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, you just kind of rolled through the exhausting parts and the maybe uh, less enjoyable parts, but then you didn't have to deal with any of it for a little while. And when things fire back up, you kind of get this rush of things all at once. A lot of things in your life are going from from zero, trying to go from zero to fully formed, which is not the way things normally happen in the first place. Normally, you know, we're going to have a little Bible study and then someone thinks, oh, well, you know, we could, we could have some 
some music or then we, oh we could uh we could all all go to dinner afterwards and it's nice and it, it kind of expands and then all of a sudden you're looking at going from mm-hmm. getting to do pretty much whatever you want all the time as long as you stay in your house to oh there's this thing we used to do most Wednesdays that is a 4 hour block of commitments the way it ended uh and we you know, we all had to press pause in 2020 and now we're just rolling back into that and it's not saying that's good or bad but it's perfectly understandable that you would feel a little wrung out by that. And Glenn started us off by looking, by talking about looking at new aspects of things. And I think that's some, a good idea to do in a lot of aspects of your life. That doesn't mean you think a thing is bad or you think the, the formula for the small group was, was wrong or it didn't, it didn't work where we have to re totally uh, remake the model. But if there's some things that aren't working, some things you'd rather not do, uh, it might be a good time to to figure some things out if you're in a position to do that or to at least uh, decide what you want to do and don't want to do for now. I think there's also an expectation a lot of us are going to put on ourselves as wherever you live comes out of uh, out of lockdown to just be carried with enthusiasm and jump in with both feet and say yes to everything and go to everything and hang out as long as you can at all things. And that's just not. Uh, the way things work, we're not, you're not going to, you don't have uh, 16 months of uh, social kinetic energy just built up that you're about to uh, shoot all over everywhere. That's not how that, that's not how that works. And, and to, to take us back to where Glenn started us, it's not a fair expectation to put on yourself. You should, should take things as they come, t- do the things you enjoy, try to minimize the things you don't enjoy. That was true before COVID. It's certainly true now. If you have a question for us, you can reach us at saythatpodcast at gmail.com or thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask if you want to keep that entirely anonymous. You can also join us every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Central Time or whenever you want to join us after that at facebook.com slash thebridgechicago for our bridge cast. If you can't be in Chicago on Tuesday nights, it is a great way to catch sermons, songs, and more stuff. As they happened at the bridge, we're recording all of our stuff at the bridge now and hope to bring that experience to you. We're excited to share that with you. We're also excited to take you out with a song this week. There's been a sore lack of Lee on this show, so we're going to take out the Lee song called You're Calling Me. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Let's say that podcast reminding you that churches are for humans and Bibles don't need politics. In related news, don't eat yellow snow, don't spit into the wind, and science is real. Before the sun comes up through the window pane Before my feet have hit the ground Before I check to see if I've missed anything Before the world has made a sound You're calling me With words no one else can say you're whispering, arise and come away with me. Before I seek the smile of a lesser love, before I long for that Before I catch the eye I'm so tired of That just isn't worth a chase 
with me mm-hmm. 